Hello. Hello. Ooh, come in hot. I oh. always come in. That's not, you didn't come in hot. I didn't I came, come in hot. I came in hot. Oh man. Which is really weird. My 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 level is a normal level. I'm. This is always feels like. Why we start the show like this every time? Um, it adds an element of realism <laughs> to the experience. Most like professional and good podcasters will like cut that out. They're like, oh, let's Mm-mm. just start with the welcome to the show. Ah, the, where's the where's the charm? <laughs> where's the beauty? Where's the poetry in that, Adam? <laughs> Welcome to the New York Mystery Machine. <laughs> Tammany Hall, but for ghosts. But for all the ghosts. Um, we are, oh my gosh, we're almost there. Crazy. It's almost time for our season one finale, which will be taking no, place. No, it's not. Time for season two, two finale. finale. There it is, which is taking place in two weeks. Two weeks to the finale, you guys. Two Two full years being on the air with all of you, crazy. which uh, it's just crazy. And we're so we ninety some odd episodes, ninety some odd episodes. Yeah, well, we, we reach episode one hundred will be in August. Crazy. Um. Yeah, it's a uh, what a time to be alive. Or so <laughs> <laughs> For many reasons, <laughs> you guys. If you live in New York, or if you have a television or a computer of any sort of thing, you know that we are just two days out of. When we were on Mars, yes, for that day yes. and a half, what a crazy time! What a what a, whoo! It was orange. It was orange. It was like orange brown. It was sepia tone. It was blasting through my windows, mm-hmm. and I looked up for a second, like, "What mm-hmm. is the multiverse dying?" That's mm-hmm. a comic book reference, but you know, still. But you know, uh, yeah, no, the office I work in, uh, we we like everything in the air just like tasted gritty like it just like the like you know like when it's yeah it just gritty. It tasted gritty. and honestly still i was walking around today and maybe this is me maybe i'm dying who knows um but i feel like everything still has you know like if you're driving past the beach like at the rockaways and it, it has that salt water mixed with sewage mm-hmm. well it, Eric's yeah well because that's what it feels like still well there's no way that the air is clean yet no I mean we're calling it like moderately clean which apparently is the equivalent of like you're standing along a really busy highway (laughs) yeah it's like it says moderate but that's not that stuff is still in the air like particles are still there like we're still breathing it in so like Mm -hmm. probably wearing a mask outside probably probably what everyone should be doing but who knows anyway welcome to the show You guys, it was a crazy few days with with orange skies, but here we are, blue skies, back in old sunny New York. Mr. Blue Skies. Mr. Blue Skies, indeed. And today, we have a little treat for today. We have a little treat for next week. Mm -hmm. For two weeks only, for this season, um, we are taking ourselves on a road trip. Road trip! We, road trip. We just figured it'd be nice, you know. We know that a lot of the 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 draw of the shows because we, is that all we we do all these New York stories, sort of our shtick. But in the in the vein of being on Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie, which mm-hmm. you can listen to on their their world. Um, you guys listened to our episode last week with Sean and Carrie on our show, and then we go on their show to so go listen. And on their show, we are talking all about big foot, big feet, big feet, big foots, big footers. Um, all in the New England area, and it just inspired us to once again jump on the New York Mystery Machine and just, just journey out of New York. Yeah. See what's out there. See and, what's in this great land we call America. No, I don't know. <laughs> and I'll tell you this much. When you take a second and you venture outside of New York after spending two full years <laughs> with New York stories, the oyster. Oh, my gosh. The world is your oyster of crazy stuff. So this week, Christina is leading us on a journey to where? To Pennsylvania. Oh, we're, we're staying local. 
Yeah, pretty local. Next week, I'm going a little further out. Ooh. I know. The furthest west the mystery machine has ever gone. I know. So get ready for next week. But this week, we're in Pennsylvania. We're in Pennsylvania. Which isn't too too far away. So, Christina, tell us all the... Tell us what's, what's happening in old Pennsylvania. What's happening in Pennsylvania? Uh, we're in Kecksburg, Pennsylvania. Um, and Kecksburg is an unincorporated community in the Mount Pleasant Township. Unincorporated? That means it belongs to no one. I, thank you. But I, 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 this drives me nuts. I don't really understand how unincorporated communities work it doesn't make sense to me like it means that there's no municipal government that is yeah. overseeing it but then how does it function i don't i don't understand no, i don't know either if anyone can explain this to me wikipedia tried and it failed at getting wikipedia me to comprehend. Failed. no it explained it but like my comprehension that's fair did not yeah if up. you guys could uh, once again we're looking to you if you're not a lawyer, which clearly no lawyers listen to the show, you never gotten <laughs> back to us about the law about a month ago, and a wordologists. Oh, speaking of wordologists, we're speaking, let's cl- clar- clean this up right we, now. We, 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 yeah, we. I know you were all waiting for it. We spoke to Sam again. Yes, and it is indeed. She says machinists. Machinists. So you are. Thank you for the video, Sam. That was really helpful. You guys, it's machinists, machinists. <laughs> So you, y'all be, would be called the New York Mystery Machinists. Yeah. I'm probably never going to use that phrase, but it was good that we spent three full weeks <laughs> figuring this figuring out. it out. I'm glad it's time well spent. Anyway. So if you can explain to me unincorporated communities, that'd be great. God, our tangents have gotten ridiculous. <laughs> but thank you for bringing us back. Anytime. <laughs> um, so uh, Kecksburg is no stranger to the paranormal, and we will be talking about some paranormal today. Um, for example, in 1892, there was some supernatural and possibly ghostly phenomena in a farmhouse, which included the, quote, violent ejectment of anyone who attempted to sleep in a particular bed or room, among the other things. The violent ejection? Like, yeah. they were, like, thrown I really, out? So this isn't the story we're covering, but I'm really, I really kind of wish it were, because I want to know what this was. That's next week. That's next year. <laughs> next year. Next year, we're coming back to Kecksburg. Kecksburg is most famous for a UFO incident in 1965. An alien story. Which uh, it's even been called Pennsylvania's Roswell. Pennsylvania's Roswell. High praise. High praise. High high bar to clear here. Um, So that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about some aliens. Um, So our story occurs on December 9th, 1965. Here's how the Evening Standard told the story the next day. Nearby Kecksburg in Westmoreland County became a hub of activity last night when a fireball reportedly struck that area. But officials called off a search for any such object early this morning and said it was a meteor. A meteor is a fireball of stone or metal that burns up as it enters the Earth's atmosphere. If the object strikes the ground, it is termed a meteorite. Fireballs were seen last night from the state of California through the Midwest and in Pennsylvania. Residents in the Kecksburg area cited the fireball about 5.15 p.m. Residents of that area, contrary to the state police report, said they saw something flash in the ground at three different times after the fireball passed. They reported ground flashes at 9.30 and 11 p.m. and then again at 1.30 this morning. So basically, fireball comes streaking through Pennsylvania, this little unincorporated community about, I think, 20 minutes from Pittsburgh. Um, and the police are like, no, 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 don't worry. Just a meteorite. Totally. Just a meteorite. Um, that same day, uh, another report's published in the, the morning news in Wilmington, Delaware. It says, because of an unidentified flying object in the woods, U.S. Army units and Pennsylvania State Police sealed off an area in southwestern Pennsylvania last night. 
A spokesman for a team of radar experts from the Army's 662nd Radar Squadron said, we don't know what we have yet. Pentagon sources indicated it could have been a meteorite. After sealing off a wooded, isolated area at Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, here we go, about 20 miles south of Pittsburgh, I was right, uh, officers said Army engineers were being called into the scene. So uh, Patty A. Wilson's book, UFOs in Pennsylvania, Encounters with Extraterrestrials in the Keystone State, my kind of title for the record. Oh my God, it's 3,000 hours long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This this episode can be titled UFO, Ros- Pennsylvania's Roswell, colon, UFOs in the Keystone State, colon, what happened to Kecksburg? Question mark. I'm watching Adam's face. He hates me. Um, so in this book... Um, Patty A. Wilson documents this story extensively um, from the perspective of a number of locals in the area who maintained for years that this was no fucking meteorite. So when the fireballs were spotted, locals began calling each other and began calling the police. Did you see that shit? Did you see this? Was that a fireball? Is that a fireball (laughs) in the sky? Um, And a certain Francis Kelp, which kind of love that name for some reason, called John Murphy, the news director of WHJB Radio at AM 620 in Greensburg at 6.30 p.m. John Murphy, being a good news reporter, was like, this is this is going to be something. And <laughs> <laughs> went immediately to the scene. Um, he arrived prior to the police, prior to the, the fire department. And uh, he apparently got to ground zero of the crash site and begins taking photographs of something he described as a bronze acorn-shaped craft. He filled an entire roll with photos. Then he put in it, remember these are the days of film camera folks. So he has an entire roll of film that he filled up and then he took that out and put it in his pocket. And for those who are, um, what, probably the age of 20? Film. Film. <laughs> film is. Um, it's okay. We curve really high on our... our, our um, <laughs> There's no question here that There's anyone... There's no question. Good, 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 good. good. Don't the folks who listen to our show are millennials, millennials and up. Excellent. Okay. We don't need to... I'm sure there's like a few of you Gen Zers. But we're trusting that you know what film is. Yeah. And that... When I read this initially, I was like, but he did put it in the little canister, right? He didn't like just let it. Yeah, but in the little black canister. Because otherwise right it's going to get really screwed up, right? Yeah, so like yeah, they yeah. weren't specific about that, but I'm imagining. But I'm sure he did. did. I'm sure it wasn't his first time in the camera rodeo. Right. Um, so he puts this roll of film in his pocket, refills the camera with another roll, starts taking more pictures. And then he hears the sound of people and goes to meet them. He figures this has to be, you know, the cavalry coming in to to see what's what. And in fact, it was, right? It was the, um, the local fire marshal, a Carl Metz some uh, state troopers, and some military officers. Um, And apparently at this moment, they saw him, saw the camera, confiscated the film in his camera, but John would later tell his wife that they did not know he had an entire roll of film in his pocket, and he wasn't about to let them in on that secret, so he he made off with a roll of film. Um, And he gets back in his car, he had a CB radio in the car with him, and so he contacted her on that, told her what was going on, told her that he got this roll of film he couldn't wait to develop it um and that he saw various uniformed men with scientific equipment making their way to the crash site Hmm. so murphy you know sort of watching what's going on trying to suss out the situation eventually realizes that a number of the local law enforcement are going back to a military station in greensburg so he goes back with them um he was uh, reassured by the state police while there that there was nothing found in the woods at all there's totally nothing there the fire marshal Metz um, said he was going to go back into the woods with the military, I guess, maybe do another sweep or whatever. And so Murphy asked if he could join. And Metz said, as long as it was okay with the captain, 
the captain, again, who had just told Murphy nothing was found, said, sure, why not? And as they're on their way out, a state trooper says that there was a pulsating blue light in the woods and that the military wanted to investigate it. You know, pulsating blue light where there's absolutely nothing. Here's the thing, you guys. You know me. I love scary stuff. So I would absolutely, you know, when we put that poll out, would you go in a murder house or a, or a, um, a ghost house? Which one won? Murder house one, I think. I think right? murder house one, yeah. As it should, because there may be a ghost in a murder house, but it may not be a ghost. There is a ghost in a ghost house. True. Um, I voted for the will not do either. Thank yeah, you very much. It's fair. Do you know what I wouldn't do? Mm. Go to like a towards a pulsating light in the middle of the woods. Right after a fireball crash. I'm not going to fuck with aliens. <laughs> because I don't want them to take me. Yeah. I don't know what they're going to do. Yep. Unless they're super peaceful, then like, yes, take me. They could have. Get you me know, off this planet. Crazy this, alien This planet germs. is literally burning. That's the fair. Skies the sky is orange. The sky is orange. Does your planet have an unnatural orange sky? I don't, I don't even know your planet. Can I just stay in your ship? Oh, yeah. I'm cool with- We like acorn ships. I love an acorn ship. <laughs> um, so so they, they decide, okay, they're going back to the crash site. They get in their cars. They drive back, they park, and Murphy walks over to Metz's car where he confirms with Metz, you know, just making sure you're still going in the woods, right? And Metz says, yes. And Murphy says, great, so am I. Metz said, actually, no, you're not. And he's like, wait a minute. You literally just said, like, 20 minutes ago, or however long it takes to get from Greensburg to Kecksburg, I don't know, that it was cool. Um, and Metz said, no, you, you can't come in now. So something changed between Greensburg and Kecksburg, mm-hmm. right? New orders or something. Um, and now Murphy was absolutely no longer welcome to see the absolutely nothing that is apparently in this woods. Oh, boy. Um, so one of the firemen who was part of the, the volunteer fireman crew that went to the crash site was a guy named James Romansky. Uh, he was 18 or 19 at the time and for years went by a pseudonym when publicly discussing the crash. Um, so, for example, a 1988 article calls him Pete. Um <laughs> You know, Pete. Pete. Uh, he would later confirm that the thing was uh, that crashed was acorn shaped, and he added had designs on it that he described as hieroglyphic like. Uh, here's how he described it to a researcher named Stan Gordon years after the fact. Quote: It had it had writing on it, not like your average writing, but more like ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics. Side note from Christina. Tell me the note. Technically, for those who are really wondering. Um, Hieroglyphic is the adjective. Hieroglyphs mm. are the noun. But oh. it's fine. <clears throat> this is information that no one needed. I, I disagree. Um, back back to this quote. That is what people need. It had a sort of... Wait, bump- I'm mm. sorry. Let's go back for a second. Hieroglyphic is... The adjective. It describes a hieroglyph? Yeah. So hieroglyphic writing. So what, what other ways could you describe the hieroglyph? I mean... Oh, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, so it's, it's hieroglyphic writing or... Like if, like almost if you were to say terrific. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That makes sense. There you go. Well, you know what? You, you guys come to the show for many a thing, but did you know that you also get to learn all about the power of language... Look at that. ...and ancient symbols? You're welcome. The more you know. I really want to get, in season three, a sound pad so I can press a button <gasps> and... It'll do like the more that you know. Yes. And like it's it's worth noting. And and the hot take, whatever our hot take. Our hot take sting. Yeah. 
you guys, we need a few more Patreons. <laughs> if you, We've got plans. <laughs> if you join our Patreon this summer, we can get ourselves new equipment yeah, 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 that we need that's actually needed for the show. But also, we can get a sound pad. Here's the thing what we want you to do. Middle of the show break. This is a good, good commercial break. If you join our Patreon, you, I'd love for you to write in why you're joining the Patreon. Mm. Aside mm-hmm. from wanting to support, but I'm really supporting the sound pad. Yeah. <laughs> What would make this better is if there was a chorus of people saying it's worth noting every time. It's, oh my god! Yeah, I, we recorded, but we recorded as if like the group, like a, like it's just a, a stadium, a full room of people. It's worth <laughs> noting. <laughs> it's in stages. Yeah, like we can do the little, a little the, out pub, of sync. the pub crowd, and then we can do like this full like Taylor Swift era stadium yes. tour. Yes, yes, yes. So anyway, James Romansky. <laughs> um. Describing the object, he says, it had sort of a bumper on it, like a ribbon about six to ten inches wide, and it stood out. It was elliptical the whole way around, and the writing was on this bumper. It's nothing like I've ever seen, and I'm an avid reader. It's like a bumper, it's like a bumper sticker. Basically, yeah. <laughs> Tonk if you can. <laughs> what is- like, <laughs> honk if we're glowing too yeah. long, if we're glowing too bright. That's a good t-shirt. There you go. Honk if we're glowing Ooh. too bright. Um, it's nothing like I've ever seen and I'm an avid reader I read a lot of books on Egypt the Incas Peruvians and Russians and I've never to this day come across anything that looked like that he also says um, the following in a 1987 taped interview with Stan Gordon which is quoted in that 1988 article in the Danville um, paper Um, Adam would you like to read sure this we got to get you back on paper or pad. Oh, Adam said I can get back on paper. Adam said I can get back on paper. Get ready for the rest of I mean, it's just, you guys, we're reading off of Christina's phone. It's just tragedy. Who, who is this now? A taped interview from Sam Gordon? Stan Gordon? Stan Gordon, and this is still James Romansky talking. Well, how would you say that James Romansky sounds? He's a fireman from outside of Pittsburgh. What do Pittsburghians sound like? Is this technically Pennsylvania? What people call Pennsylvania? Oh, I don't know if this is Pennsylvania. Because if it's Pennsylvania, you could just pull out the old Southern gentleman. It plowed a path as it came in at probably a twenty-five or thirty-degree angle, and taking off the tops of trees fifteen or twenty feet high. Didn't make a crater, but a trench about seven feet deep at the end. And the unique thing is there was no fire. It was a maze because it was a fireball when it went over. It wasn't hot. There was no steam or vapor. Uh, the trees were snapped off a bit, but it weren't burnt. In the ditch was the airplane or object of the search, but it was totally foreign. There was no wings or glass or fuselage or rotors, no shrapnel, like an explosion. It was round and metal, seven to nine feet wide, at least the part we could see. I I don't know how much it was buried. Uh, It could have easily stood it up. The metal was an unfamiliar color, like tarnished silver or off-color gold or some like in between. Uh, I'm a machinist. Hey! <laughs> I'm a machinist, and I've never seen a metal like it again, either solid or liquid. It looked like a deflated 
beach ball pushed down and crumpled up and toward the bottom. It had a ring or a, a bumper right to ten inches wide raised up from the surface. I couldn't see all of it, but it had a radius to it. The bumper had a riding like a ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics. Okay, now I know what's wrong, but come on. Straight lines and dots and different figures, nothing I couldn't understand. Uh, nobody wanted to go down into the hole, even though the ground wasn't burned and we were talking uh, about what to do I guess it was 15-20 minutes until the first person in the in a, in a state policeman uh, right behind him he was a man with no uniform but who wreaked authority later identified as a state police detective they ordered us out evacuated search teams military people were coming up the road carrying firearms and military trucks and state police cars were coming on up they roped off the area i saw an air force van when we got back to the fireball the military throwed us out of there it was wall-to-wall military they took a house too a little later a flatbed truck was with something big covered in a top Poland. It had a escort in front and in back with lights flashing. It left the area and it wasn't slowing down for no one. Word came out it was a meteorite, but the military came out with guns and tw- 10 or 12 cars, trucks or cars, a, a payload on a flatbed. There was no meteorite, no plane. It was something other than Earth origin. Thank you very much. That is exactly what I wanted. I'd like to, I'd like to to note in our own journey mm. that um, I got through that in one beautifully. Day. I know, I know. I I was thinking about that. The early days of the old Southern Gentleman. I would stop and start laughing terribly midway through. I think this means that you've integrated the old Southern Gentleman <laughs> within yourself, and you are now one. Oh God! I mean, it it it's worth noting. It's worth. That man did not sound anything like what I just did. <laughs> <laughs> There's no doubt in my mind. But we needed one more old Southern gentleman before yes. the, before the old Southern gentleman has barely come out this season. I know, like, before I, the I, season, you know, ends. We, I needed that. I needed that infusion. Um, so there are some a few things in that quote, right? I, I tend to agree that it's kind of weird if it's just a meteorite that you have a whole bunch of armed military officials being like, ready to shoot down the meteorite. Yeah. Um, and there's also mention of a nearby farmhouse, right? And so this farmhouse quickly became the temporary command post for the military and government workers on the site. Um, so according to Lillian Hayes, whose farmhouse it was and who lived there with her husband and kids, there were tons of phone calls made by government personnel over the course of the evening so much so that she worried her phone bill would be astronomical get it get it um but when her phone bill eventually arrived there were no calls listed on it from that evening at all so any calls made from that house were expunged from official record um according to romansky in the interview with stan gordon um again as quoted in the 1988 article, the Hayes family claimed that they even saw men in decontamination suits in that home. Um, and in 2015, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette shared an article um, interviewing some of the residents who remembered that night, including John Hayes. Now, John Hayes was 10 at the time. He was one of the kids in the house. And he remembers the events. He's quoted as saying, 
The first thing they did was tell my parents to send us to bed. Well, naturally, I was excited by all the goings on and our bathroom was downstairs. I made quite a few trips to the bathroom that night. (laughs) There were a lot of men in uniforms and there were some men in suits and it was very clear that the men in suits were in charge of everything. They were over top of the military and they had a lot of clout. Apparently, he could see a lot of the activity from his bedroom upstairs. The house sort of overlooked the woods um, and had a good vantage point, which is probably why it was chosen to begin with, right? Um, And in that same interview, he says, quote, I couldn't see down into the hollow where they were at, so where they were looking at the crash site, but I did see six guys in radiation suits take a box down there. I didn't see them bring it back out. So there is a bit of an issue with this part of the story, folks say. So there is something called, apparently, and I'm going to pronounce this wrong, posse comitatus. (laughs) Posse Which essentially means that um, active duty military personnel cannot serve as civilian law enforcement unless explicitly stated by a law. And so while they could go and recover equipment, they can't just take over a private home. And in fact, as others have pointed out, it's really a violation of the U.S. Constitution, right? So like, think about the Revolutionary War. You know, people were made to quarter British soldiers. We got real upset about that part of the constitution is you can't make us do that um but here we are so like this would be a constitutional violation um so do with that as you will um the family says it happened uh here we are now various individuals of varying ages and professions saw a flatbed truck which we heard about um enter the woods that night and then emerge later with something strapped down and covered with a tarp some report that there were Nassau workers in the vicinity, and the fire marshal, Carl Metz, always stated he could not talk about that evening, even having been sworn potentially to secrecy by an army official. That last part, I don't know if that's direct from Carl's mouth or if that's like third hand, you know, attribution. Now, the WHJB radio station that we mentioned earlier was an affiliate of ABC News in New York. ABC at some point that night reported a UFO crash in Kecksburg. And then pretty quickly thereafter, um, the radio station gets a call from the network saying, take it back. Don't mention the craft. Do not mention it any further. Also tell John Murphy, don't mention the crash. Don't say anything. Um, Which brings us back to John Murphy. But before we talk about John Murphy, let's take a break. Certainly. We'll be right back. The New York Mystery Machine is brought to you in part by listeners like you. That's right. Head on over to our Patreon, and for as little as $3 a month, you can help keep the pod growing. By joining, you can access a whole bunch of cool stuff, such as mini-episodes, swag, exclusive playlists, and more. Head to www.patreon.com slash nymysterymachine to find out more and become a patron. That's www.patreon.com slash nymysterymachine and join our ever-growing community today. And we're back. We're back. We're back. So there's been a crash. This acorn-like thing is out there in the woods. The government is taking over private citizens' houses to set up command centrals. Um, And uh, we have learned the difference between hieroglyphic and hieroglyph. And meteor, meteorite. And meteor, meteorite. Look at that. Just filled with knowledge today. 
Um, but we're we're talking about John Murphy, right? So the radio station gets orders basically saying, don't say anything, keep your mouth shut, go tell John Murphy to keep his mouth shut. Um, John Murphy, I guess, said, fuck that. Um, <laughs> because he immediately gets to work on a radio special that he calls Object in the Woods. And just as the show is about to air, like within the last two days or so, before it was scheduled to premiere. People that John Murphy had interviewed begin calling and asking to have their interviews pulled, citing fear of the state police or that they, quote, didn't want to get in trouble with the army, unquote. So when the special aired, it was, it was necessarily radically different from its original version. Then, a few days after the special aired, Murphy was visited at work by some men in suits, and Murphy was very upset at their departure. And he said that they had taken his taped interviews. Hmm. And then he stopped discussing the events entirely, just changing the subject when it would be brought up. Around this time, Murphy's wife, Bonnie, also realized that the notes that John had made were no longer in the house. She never saw the photographs he took and that he had told her he had kept in his pocket. Apparently, a copy of the original unedited documentary did eventually make its way to Stan Gordon, that researcher we mentioned. Hmm. Um, but that, too, seems to have gone missing from Stan's possession following John Murphy's death. So John Murphy, for the record, was killed in a hit-and-run accident in Ventura, California in 1969, just a few years after these events. So if you want to go real conspiracy theory on this, we'll let you fill in the blanks. Um, so the presence of military and government personnel aside, eyewitness accounts also suggest potentially something other than a meteor. Different accounts, for example... Um, describe the falling fireball slash object as making controlled movements before it collided with the earth. So, for example, the overall trajectory of the object involves some twists and turns. Uh, here's how it was described in the Danville News in, again, that 1988 recap article. Shortly before sundown, December 9th, 1965, thousands of observers from Ontario to Pennsylvania watched an orange fireball hurtle across the sky. The object left a long smoke trail visible for up to 20 minutes over Michigan and Ohio, and falling debris sparked numerous small blazes along its path. Private pilots near Detroit noted feeling shockwaves as they saw it pass, and reported an aircraft had exploded and was going down in Lake Erie. But the object passed over the lake, made a 30-degree turn midway between Cleveland and Akron, Ohio, and finally landed in a densely wooded area near Kecksburg, Pennsylvania at about 4.45 p.m. Now, Bill Buellbush, who witnessed the event, told UFO Hunters on the History Channel in 2009, I heard this sizzling noise, and then I seen this red fireball coming, and I watched it, and it went up towards the mountain, it made the turn, and come back, a perfect turn, and came down. It just seemed like it, it was trying to find a place to land. Hmm. Official records do confirm that at least some military were in the area, though not nearly the number intimated by all the eyewitness reports. So Project Blue Book, for instance, does record that a team of three was dispatched to the area, quote, to investigate and pick up an object that started a fire, unquote. But they found nothing and decided against going out again. Now, according to some, including Kevin D. Randall, who is author of, get ready for this title, Adam, Crash, colon, When UFOs Fall from the Sky, colon, A History of Famous Incidents, Conspiracies, and Cover-Ups. Gosh. My kind of title. Um, Randall says that this three-man team should send our brains 
you know, little alarm bell radar things going up because it should make us think of Project Moondust. So Project Moondust was an official top secret government project from the mid-1960s into the 1980s that was used in cases involving the examination of non-U.S. space objects or objects of unknown origin. So per a document from the Department of the Air Force in 1961, quote, Moondust teams are comprised of three men each to include a linguist, a tech man, and an ops man, unquote. And it's worth noting that the... It's worth noting! That the researcher who uh, Freedom of Information acted the documents that led to the public discovery of Project Moondust was also told via letter that the nickname Project Moondust no longer exists officially. It has been replaced by another name, which is not releasable. So the implication being that it may still exist under a different name. Yeah, how about... Um, so... Those are the major events of that night. We know there's army involved. We know that there's this Project Blue Book involved. And Project Blue Book, if you aren't familiar, deals with UFOs, right? Um, it's military records from sightings, including military sightings, um, dispatches to go investigate things. Um, we have confirmed this, this um, I think, 662nd Radar Squadron. We have stories of flatbeds right even if that's not officially documented um uh so what do you think uh we could there are some possibilities um that we can go over first but if you have any i mean it's an alien <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to describe it okay fair um i'll i'll share you know so a lot there's the meteor theory right but there's also some counter evidence to that right so the i think everything stops when like officers are like you can no longer go here and it's not because it's not safe right Nothing's on fire. Nothing's on fire. You know, I can understand if, like, the people in the biohazard suits are like, oh, my gosh, you got out of here. It's radioactive. Mm -hmm. That's a real thing. Mm -hmm. Like, truth be told, a flying fucking rock from space, regardless of how hot or not it is, mm -hmm. could very well be dangerous. Sure. You don't know what chemical or, yeah. or, or, you know, radiation comes off of it. But um, the fact that non-covered -pe people in biohazard suits before the people with the suits came. Yeah. Like just regular old people were like, yeah, you can't go here, but you can, we can go. You can. You can. Go. That doesn't make me believe it's a safety precaution. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and then there's that issue of, of if it's a meteor, how does a meteor change direction? Right. So some people say that the flight path change is a result of faulty evidence analysis. Basically they say that people, Yes, found debris in places like Michigan and immediately were like, oh, geez, must be the same object. But it could very well be that the debris found elsewhere was from, in fact, something else, um, maybe even an unrelated meteorological event. Um, but again, I think to your point, if it's just a meteor and the people without the decontamination suits can go down there, but the news reporter can't, something else is happening. The other theory is that it might be Cosmos 96, which is a Russian probe. Oh, um, Cosmos 96. Sounds like a... Sounds like a <laughs> possible <laughs> great band. <laughs> great band sounds like the Veiled Murderess and... It's, it's like... But it's an all-Russian band. <laughs> Hello, we are Cosmos 66. <laughs> the, anyway, this is Wonderwall. <laughs> I would go see that doubleheader. 
that that would be a great opening act for <laughs> they'll murder us mm-hmm. in cosmo 66 at a New York Mystery Machine Fest. Incredible. <laughs> We're building up for a new shirt. There you go. In 2024, <laughs> you guys. Um, uh, so uh, the Cosmos 96 was a Soviet Venus probe that was malfunctioning at the time. And a Soviet Venus probe is what it sounds like. It's a Soviet spacecraft that was designed to get to Venus, have a little flyby, do a little investigation of the planet. And apparently, according to this theory, the probe failed to exit low Earth orbit after launch and eventually came crashing back down. But... Others say that the speed and incline were the wrong measurements to have been a re-entering spacecraft. Um, and in fact, there is some evidence that uh, an investigative reporter found that the Cosmos 96 crashed in Canada around 3.18 a.m. So the timeline is similar, but it doesn't line up with what's being seen here. One suggestion that's crazy. We love a crazy suggestion. Is the object was a Nazi bell. Which if I didn't ever hear What's of. a Nazi bell? Great question, Adam. A Nazi bell is apparently a world... Naz- Nazi bell sounds like a Third Reich entertainer. <laughs> it does. Hello, I'm Nazi bell. Um, so, Nazi bell, uh, a World War II experiment related to gravity and time travel. It's also sometimes called Die Glocke. Um, and it's basically a conspiracy theory, right? That there was this bell being developed to control time travel to potentially be used by the Nazis to reverse the tide of World War II. I don't doubt that this is real mm-hmm. because Hitler was batshit crazy. I was just going to say, the occult was all over he the place. literally, people like, people make jokes about like the Marvel movies and how like, in like Captain America, mm-hmm. they had this whole thing about like, you know, Norse mythology and the time and the Tesseract and all that. That wasn't so far from the truth. Hitler right? like believed in all that stuff. So it would not surprise me if Hitler was trying to, Hitler was trying to find the spear of destiny. Mm-hmm. The spear that apparently stabbed Jesus in the side when he was on the cross. Hitler was cray cray yeah. for all things like the of the yeah. occult. So this is not, not surprising. I me. agree. I agree. I, the fact that I don't I, know if it exists. There we are. I don't think it exists. But that the project was, I a, a thousand percent believe yeah. that Hitler sent a scientist to create a project to control space and time. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt in my mind. Or that someone proposed this is something we should be doing. And you he's know? Like, yeah, of course. But like you said, as far as like proof that it got off from just the the, the proposal side of things, I, there's no yeah, evidence I don't, of that. I don't, I don't think um, that. So definitely puts me in mind that this isn't like is not crashing through space. Yeah. And time actively and time. in 1965. Um, so then UFOs. One of the things that comes up with the UFO situation is that this isn't Roswell, right? So people have more ready access to cameras. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why are none of these civilians taking photographs of the military but there, presence? But there are all those photographs, right? Like we have that guy's like whole role. But it went missing. It was no longer in the house with his notes after those men in suits showed up at his workplace. So they also went to his house when he wasn't home. Maybe. All we know is that the it's wife... It's not just... It didn't like vanish and i don't think he threw him out no so my interpretation is that yeah the either he brought him to work and that's when the men in suits took that when they confiscated his interviews or something like that Mm. all we know is that he stopped talking about it we changed the subject and his wife said that she never saw the thing that he was so excited about that he radioed her Mm. um but where what about all these other people right who are seeing this massive military press why aren't they taking photos of it um why aren't the Hayes who have everybody in their house taking photos of it? To which I say, I'm sure the military in the house would have been like, hey. Put your camera down. Yeah. We're going to need that film now, right? Yeah, like, like, like there's no there's no way that you can get away with 
filming anything with military presence. Right, exactly. There's no way. Um, Now, we've mentioned Stan Gordon a few times. Gordon and another researcher named Leslie Keene, who was also an investigative reporter out of Greensburg, did uh, end up filing several um, FOIA requests or Freedom of Information Act requests. And Keene eventually sued NASA over their lack of assistance in locating various documents. Basically, she said that NASA would send her a stack of documents that were unrelated to her inquiries. Mm. Um, Here's an excerpt from the Latrobe Bulletin on December 8th, 2003. A researcher backed by cable television sci-fi channel plans to sue NASA for records she contends the agency has of a UFO that reportedly crash landed and was recovered by government workers in southwestern Pennsylvania in 1965. Our lawsuit is aimed at getting NASA to tell the public what it knew and when it knew it, said Ed Rothschild, a lobbyist the sci-fi channel hired. The lawsuit contends NASA has thwarted Keene's efforts to retrieve official files on the incident by sending her irrelevant information or nothing in response to Freedom of Information Act requests. Despite our serious effort to uncover the facts, NASA still refuses to provide the public with any information, said Sci-Fi Channel President Bonnie Hammer. We are hopeful that our legal system will help us find out what really happened in the woods outside Kecksburg. Now, eventually, the courts do rule in Gordon and Keene's favor. So two years later, on December 9th, 2005... So, yeah, two years later, December 9th, 2005, the Center Daily Times reports a National Aeronautics and Space Administration spokesman says there's no cover up. Quote, the UFO was a Russian satellite, but government records have been lost. As a rule, we don't track UFOs. What we could do and what we apparently did as experts in spacecraft in the 1960s was to take a look at whatever it was and give our expert opinion. We did that. We boxed the case up and that was the end of it. Unfortunately, the documents supporting those findings were misplaced. <laughs> Keen and Helfrich, Keen's lawyer, don't believe this explanation. And what's so what's pretty wild about this? It's like he's misplaced, but it's so weird. What's so weird? It's totally misplaced. And weird guys sent it off to the National Archives and just like can't find it now. But the other favorite thing is they've spent decades doing one of two things: going meteorite, definitely a meteorite, or um. Nothing found. We found nothing. Nothing to be found. Nothing to be found. And they're like, "Yeah, I mean, of course we took a look at it." Well, you can't take a look at nothing. Yeah. So you found something, guys. You found something. Kids. <laughs> um. And the fact that they're suddenly like, also, you know, it was a Russian satellite. You could have said that. You could have said that all along. That's the easiest thing to do, right? Just blame it on the Russians, right? Why was there all this stalling about this? What year is this? Two thousand five. Well, 1965 is when the crash happens. Yeah. Okay. That's what I meant. Yeah. So then the, you know, Stan Gordon has been digging hard. In 1965, they could have literally just blamed it on the Russians. Right. Or if they don't want to cause panic, fine. But then once you hit the 90s and people are still requesting, in 2003 when they're making the Freedom of Information Act requests, then you could be like, it was the Russians. It was totally Russians. It was Cold War at the time. We were being cagey about it, but like, uh, it was Russians. You don't have to still be like, oh, you know, nothing there, nothing there. We examined the nothing that was there and, you know, turned out. Uh, come on. Uh, in 2009, Keen also complained that she still didn't believe NASA had searched all of its offices. Just three of them were they thought mentioned that the event might be most likely. If the records exist and are classified, then NASA is supposed to say as much. And Keen said that that hasn't happened either. Mm. So November 12th, 2009, the Republican Herald writes, She, Keen, dismisses the NASA spokesman's comments that the object was a Russian satellite. We wouldn't be in a lawsuit if after all these years their PR guy could just tell us that's what it was, she said. For this guy to say it was a Russian satellite when NASA's own expert says it couldn't possibly be, that strikes me as bizarre. Um, 
and and there she's referring to what we mentioned earlier that some experts say that the uh, reported speed and trajectory as you know cited by eyewitnesses don't match up with the idea of a re-entering satellite sure in the end stan gordon is quoted in the 2015 pittsburgh post-gazette article as saying it's a mystery and after so many years it would be great if we could find information about what it was that fell from the sky that night in 1965 but it may be one of those things that we may never have the answer for Meanwhile, Kecksburg hosts a UFO festival every year where they raise money for their volunteer fire department. And this year, it's from July 21st to July 23rd. So go check it out. Go check it out. It's not too far away. They have um, a recreation monument of the bell-shaped thing that crashed. Oh, the the, the acorn The acorn, yes. The acorn-shaped thing. How exciting. um, With their interpretation of the hieroglyphs. Oh gosh! And like what that looked like, um, but that's that's Kecksburg. That's Kecksburg. It's kind guys. of a crazy thing. Um, what a fun little excursion right? out of New York we did this I week. Know, look at guys. that! Look at so that! Sometimes it's nice to leave New York a little bit. Yeah, you learn some new stuff, some new aliens. It brought it brought another alien case. Couldn't leave you without an alien this season. We didn't do any aliens this season. This is our only so, alien. You know, it was really important that we, we hit you with an alien. So. Um, if you guys have any thoughts or ideas or, or what you may think happened in Kecksburg back in 1965, you know what to do. You head on over to our socials, slide into our DMs at NOI Mystery Machine at, um, on Instagram. Um, while you're there, you can also go at NOI Mystery Machine on Facebook, at NOI Mysteries on the Twitter, at NOI Mystery Machine on the TikTok. Do you want to email us? NOI Mystery Machine at gmail.com. Uh, in two weeks, season finale we're talking all about your theories all about our theories things we missed things we found you don't want to miss it um if you want to support the podcast the best way of doing that is join our patreon for as little as three dollars a month you help the show keep going that's patreon.com slash nway mystery machine and um some fun new stuff in the merch world um if you want to buy some t-shirts, you head on over to belowthecollar.com slash Machine. It is June. It is Pride Month. We do have a Pride shirt this year. Each year we're going to have a different Pride shirt. And um, and this year is our Queer Little Alien. But in addition, um, it, it was requested by a few people mm-hmm. that we put our Pride logo, the updated Pride logo that um, we mocked up this year as a t-shirt. So that'll be up probably later this week on the shop nice. as a t-shirt. Um, and... These are coming in. We've already ordered them. Special edition. A few of you have requested the Pride logo as a sticker. So um, we've ordered those. We've ordered just 50 of them. Um, they're super glossy. They're limited edition. They're super glossy. When they're gone, they're gone for the year. Uh, maybe we'll do it again for next Pride. So it, we'll put out all the information for those stickers. Um, we'll probably uh, put them in a bundle with the regular sticker if you want mm-hmm. both. Or uh, otherwise, so all that information will probably come out uh, later this week. So just be sure to jump on our socials for the few of you who did request the special edition Pride sticker. Um, they're going to look really dope. So we're really excited to to have them. Um, we are back all new next week with another road trip, taking another trip, and this time we're jumping in the van and we're going yeah. a little bit even further west. Oh man! So um, for a little little excursion to the Midwest. Oh, we should uh, we we should have like a little sound of like ah! a screeching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you had the sound pad, if we had the sound pad, guys. <laughs> so uh, be sure to check out next week's episode and two weeks our finale, and then after our finale, we're taking a couple weeks off before we jump into season three. In so I've been out of maze. I've been Christina Marino. And thank you for taking a ride on the New York Mystery Machine. Tammany Hall, but for ghosts.